pause wasn't by act, or excuse me, wasn't on purpose. I forgot this was a short service and it was my time up. Well, good morning. Thank you all for praying for me. Thank you for uh, uh, the prayers of the saints, giving me courage to get up here. Um, I have people praying for me from four states, which is an awesome thing. I don't get to get up here every week, and so I, I do require your prayers. As a matter of fact, there's one more to go. Will you pray for me when you leave today? <laughs> so I'm feeling the, uh, the weight of it, Pastor Eric and uh, Mr. Jason Kenny and uh, whoever else is going to come up here and preach three times every time. So praise God for that. I hope last time was a warm-up and I'm better each time. And uh, So uh, this summer, uh, remember as you come in, you know, Eric has some well-deserved time off coming, and he'll be taking a vacation. Remember that every preacher that comes up here comes up with the weight of the word of God behind him, and that you are supposed to be there on that day, and he is supposed to be there on that day, and his message is preordained just for you. Whether you think you were walking by and, oh, I'm just going to pop in and visit, you're not here by accident. You're here to hear the word of God preached to you so that you can be properly shepherded, saved, and be in great fellowship with the saints. We're also very, very grateful that we can be in fellowship here today and not have to be back at home, though it was a blessing to receive all of those uh, wonderful messages that, uh, that came to us while we were at home. That all being said, I need God's help to preach, and you need God's help to listen, so let's pray. Father God, we pray for guidance from your Holy Spirit to preach your word in truth today, that we may, as a congregation, desire God's word as our true food for the soul in order to be sanctified by your grace. Pray that today's message will properly guide the congregation of believers in how to live their lives in these last days. And that the lost would be saved in the delivery of the gospel message today. In the name of the one and only living and true Christ, Jesus, the Son of God who saves, we do pray. Amen. So just a brief review. We have a short time together today. The epistle of 1 Peter was written during a time of both excitement due to the life-giving conversion of a large body of the human race. And it was also written at a time of the true fear due to the extreme persecution of that large body of humanity. Peter wrote the epistle to inform Christians and to encourage them through the scriptures that were just being written. Uh, we have the whole Bible, we're privileged, but back then they didn't have the whole Bible, so this was brand new, and you could get executed for listening to it, entertaining it, and for practicing it. So he wrote this letter, some think, from prison. We don't know for sure. We know that it was really right in with that short period of time where two million Jews and Christian converts were actually hung on crosses and set on fire. 
So imagine Peter sitting in a jail cell or not, just hiding in a home and writing this letter to encourage the saints. He wrote it to encourage them of the things to come now that they were born again and also to encourage them with a vision of hope of what it was going to be like when they entered the kingdom of God upon their death. He wrote it so they could look beyond their trials and see what that kingdom was going to be like, and that is how they would find their hope and their great joy in Christ. In the letter, Peter calls them exiles, mostly referring to the fact that they are now exiles from another world and not just exiles from their former country and the lands that they had run from now that they had new beliefs, but rather exiles from heaven. They're aliens here on earth. They're citizens of heaven. They're converted. They're God's chosen family now, no longer enslaved to the bondage of sin and the bondage of their former earthly father, Satan. We're all born to Satan as our father. But once you're born again, you're born unto a heavenly father, God Almighty. Living in this world still, but it's no longer their home and it's no longer ours, those of you who are born again. They're born again to a living hope, it says. And that's a twofold thing. They're born again from the inside out. They're made new. So they're being transformed in their final days here on earth. And also, they're born again to this hope that shows them what it was going to be like in their final arrival into God's kingdom, where all their earthly struggles with sin and sorrow and pain will be gone. And speaking of struggles with sin and sorrow and pain, these new believers were to have them. They'll have trials. We'll have trials. They're called to suffer. We're called to suffer. They're called to toil, to fight against sin. We're called to toil, to fight against sin. And yet, to prevail through all of it, now that we're purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb. These trials are to be the very thing which would produce in them their newly born Christian character. So now we've reached the part of the letter in 1 Peter where he's telling us through exhortation how we must act in our new lives. Our spirits are made new, but our bodies have to catch up. There's a lot of this kind of language in Paul's epistles as well. Oh, why am I a sinner of sinners? Why do I still sin even though I know what I should do? I do what I do not want to do, and so on. Last time I preached to you, it was several months ago, and it's from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. And from that message, we learned that the end result and main purpose of the Christian heart is to love. We're to love. We're actually born unto love when we say we're born again. It's the most powerful exhortation from this epistle yet, and maybe the most powerful in any epistle in the New Testament. 
Today's text is an extension of that exhortation. Uh, let's pause now and read today's text as if you haven't heard it enough and you're going to hear it even more. So maybe you'll have it memorized by the time you go home today. We're in First Pat, uh, excuse me, First Peter, chapter two. We'll be reading verses one to three. If you'll turn there now, if you're not already there, I'm looking around, seeing no pages being flipped. Here we go. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So today's exhortation from 1 Peter begins with the word so, which means we need to look back. We need to connect something else to it. So now I'm going to connect last sermon's message text to it and read them together starting with 1 Peter 1.22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Today's text is an extension of my last message to you, which had begun to tell us what our Christ-like character should look like now that we're born again, how it would reflect into the world. Uh, in breaking down the text, I'd like to ask and answer, uh, by way of an outline, if you will, three questions. Number one, why did Peter reflect on these specific sins? That is malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander as what not to do anymore in your new life. Why did he reflect on these specific sins? Number two, what is the pure spiritual milk spoken of in this passage? Why is it so important that we long for it? And number three, what does it mean to grow up into salvation? So let's break down the text together. First of all, we have, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So in the first verse, in chapter 2, Peter calls our attention to these specific sins. Why? First, let's define the sins. Define the sins. First, there's malice. Desire to harm someone. Boy, that's... Uh, that's big. Biblically speaking, in mind, body, or spirit, for whatever reason. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus depicts the sin of the mind to be as sinfully damaging to the human soul as the physical sins of the body. You remember when he reminds us that to look upon a woman with lust means you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And remember our pastor 
Greg Balser, who was preaching to us from the Sermon on the Mount, who reminded us that Jesus always was reaching deeper than the flesh he was describing and into the heart. Malice in the heart is malice in the body. Lust in the heart, lust in the body. Now there's deceit, which is the act of misrepresenting the truth, telling lies or acting out lies or having false intentions. This is a broad sin and it penetrates and encompasses many if not all the other sins. The word of God says that no one who practices a deceitful life will ever enter the kingdom of heaven. That's big. Then there's hypocrisy, or the act of holding someone else to a higher standard of morality than you yourself are willing to or currently are acting out. That's big in the church. Remember, he's talking to Christians here. He's not addressing unbelievers, although we know that there are factions in every congregation. I'll get to that later. Envy, the act of desiring that of another, something else that you don't have already and you want it. It's somebody else's. I have a reputation, the Nicholson Music Company in Folsom, walking in on Friday setting down my pack and looking on the wall and going, so many guitars, so little time. Or walking up to the counter and Dave Clapton, the guy that used to do the counter there for years, to buy anything, even a set of strings, and him saying, your wife called, you're cut off. <laughs> I know what envy's about. Or you guys who know how to fix things, I envy your skills. And like the other sins, this is a direct insult to God. He already knows what you need. He's given you all he wishes you to have at that given moment. Because he knows what you truly need. And then finally, slander, which is a broader term than I ever thought it was. I always thought it was lying about another one. Okay, and I just left it at that. Lots of court cases involving slander. Uh, Slander is the act of speaking evil about anyone or anything that God has truly made already pure. Usually slander is thought of as referring to lying about another or simply making a false verbal judgment in order to destroy another one's character, and that's a great definition. So before coming up with our biblical answer, why these sins, uh, I wanted to point out to you that Peter was not alone in pointing out these specific sins and all the byproducts of those sins. I'm going to read to you now from Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 22. If anybody wants to turn there in your Bible, Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 22. I'll be reading all the way to verse 31. Uh, these are long passages, so bear with me. I think it's really important that I point this out because the language in these passages is the same as the language in our passage today, they're saying, put off the old man, get rid of this now that you're born again, and put on the new godly character. It's the same kind of language, only Paul speaking instead of Peter. Here it is now, Ephesians 4:22. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, him being Jesus here, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off 
concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Wrath is an outward expression of malice. Nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. That is, now he's telling you to do the opposite. Instead of slandering somebody, say something that'll build him up. that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And then I'm gonna read one more long passage. Bear with me, thank you. Or Colossians 3, five to 10, which states, therefore put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourself once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and you have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. These are just a few sins that God has listed against us in the Bible, against us before we were born again and paid for us by the blood of Jesus Christ, so that when he looks upon us now, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Not that you are completely made righteous yet. You are being sanctified into that. I think the reason that these sins are listed, and this first one is an opinion based on Genesis and Revelations. I think they're listed primarily because Satan himself used the sins when he lured Adam and Eve into the garden, into the fall of humanity, when he tempted them. Think about it. Deceit. He lied to them about God and his promises. Malice. He intended to destroy God's most treasured creation. You. Due to the fact that he knew he couldn't destroy God. Revelation 12. Slander. He spoke evil of God and told lies about God's character. Envy, he caused Eve to desire what God had. Remember, the knowledge? And to crave what another had. Remember, fruit looked good. It was going to be good for knowledge. And not to be content with what God already provided for her. That's enough to convince me that the sins ought to be at the top of the list. Second answer, which is made more clear by the scriptures that are right here in front of us and elsewhere, 
are that these sins are the ones that show outwardly hatred and contempt for God and for your fellow man, causing us to live opposite of what Peter is instructing us to live here in this letter. Let's move on to our next phrase. <laughs> phrase is a musical term. There I go. It's actually verse two. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. What is the pure spiritual milk he's talking about here? Why is it so important for us to long for it? First part of the question is easy to answer. Some of the earlier translations include what I think is the answer, and I agree with all the Reformed commentators on what the answer is here. So I'm going to read to you from the New King James, who took it from the King James, this passage. Here it is. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. It's clear here that we're talking about the word of God. That's what the spiritual milk is, the Holy Bible. This passage in 1 Peter makes it clear that the born-again person who has a new life in Christ should crave the word of God for his spiritual sustenance and growth. Even as a newborn infant craves his mother's milk just to stay alive. I go as far as to say if you're not reading the word, you're not growing. If you're not growing, you could be still dead in your trespasses and sins. I think it's important that we're confronted with that. Paul confronts us to examine ourselves. Peter's confronting us to examine ourselves. James confronts us to examine ourselves. Are we born again? If we're not reading the word, if we don't crave the word, if we're not growing? And what if you find out you're not? Keep coming back. Keep hearing this word preached. Don't just turn away and say, I'm one of the lost, that's it. The words are spiritual food. We depend upon it for new life and for maturing in the faith. For our complete sanctification, which is our purification process that God gives to us by his grace from the moment that you're born again until the moment you take your last breath. You've got to go through it. It's the sanctification. We require the word preached just to become born again, Romans 10, 17. So faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Chapter 10 is all about that in Roman and lists the steps by which the born-again Christian becomes saved. About training up preachers, sending preachers out. Then the person who sits in the congregation that day hears the word preached. God opens his heart right then, and they become saved. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 and 25, we just read it. Let's hear it again. The importance of the word. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. He's telling you right there, you were born again through the absorbance, if you will, of the word. The Holy Spirit does that. He's the one who opens your heart for that. And then 25, comment, but the word of the Lord remains forever. 
And this word is the good news that was preached to you. For those of you that don't know, good news is referring to the word gospel. The word gospel means the good news. That is, first there's bad news. This is going to be preached to you later on today anyway. And then there's good news. The bad news is you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. And the good news is, but Jesus Christ came and he died for your sins. Here's some more scriptures that express the importance of the word of God in our spiritual confirmation. Jesus is the speaker here. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Don't be tempted into prosperity there. He's not talking about asking for a red sports car or guitar. He's talking about if you, if you are born again, your desires are even going to change. So when you ask for those desires that are in accordance with the teachings of my word, they will be given to you. Or John 8, 31, again, Jesus himself talking. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And I'm going to throw a definition for abide out here. That got thrown at me a lot when I was first at Veritas. I was from another church before. And abide got thrown at me a lot here. And I said, what does that really actually mean? You, you say it with such conviction. Abide here, especially biblically, means to endure in and through the word. Or in and through Christ himself. Christ being called the word made flesh. Or to act in accordance with God's word without fading away, without turning away, to live spiritually, if you will, in the word of God, in Christ. So we need the pure spiritual milk, which is the word of God, for every breath of our Christian understanding and in our living out the Christian life. That's why we are to long for it. That's why the Bible calls it food for our soul. So let's answer the third question today, which is, what does it mean to grow up into salvation? What does it mean? It simply means to mature in the faith, to move on from the basic concepts of the gospel where you're first born again and begin living out the Christian life. You're beginning to mature. You're maturing. One day you'll be fully mature when you die. It means to endure your trials that God gives you, 1 Peter 1, 6. It means to fight sin. Just read the whole book of Romans. It means to begin living a life of sacrificial love to your neighbors, which include the brethren, friends, and enemies. That's what the last message said. To mature is to grow into love. Paul struggled with the church at Corinth because they wouldn't grow up. And many other church bodies. We know that from his epistles. No matter what level of spiritual gift or its miraculous outpouring they received in the church in Corinth, they just refused to love. They were fighting over it. They were arguing over it. They refused to mature. Paul had to write them two letters and threaten them with a whip. Let me ask us a couple of questions, Veritas. Are we, as a church body, 
and individually in our own homes, repenting of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and all the other deadly sins mentioned in God's word, the sins that kill the Christian character and its testimony. Are we loving? Are we? I know I sat more than a couple of times during this COVID lockdown and sat watching newscasts and have my dear wife had to walk out of the room because of what was coming out of my mouth. I'm not talking about foul language. I'm talking about foul slander, speaking evil of another person over what a newscaster might have said in accordance with our government officials whom God says to pray for and not to judge. We know by their fruit most of them aren't saved, so we should be grieving for them and praying for them daily. Are we craving? Are we longing for that pure spiritual milk, the word of God for our food? Enough to dive in to every day, desire to open that book. Can't do this until it gets started. Eric talked about prayer a couple weeks ago and needing to do this with prayer. I can't pray anymore unless I open up the word. I, I, I got over trying to come up with prayers charismatically. Okay, what will I pray for today? And I, the words just won't come. Finally, just started opening the Bible the way John Piper says to. When you pray, go to the passages. And I went, hey, this works. <laughs> Duh, it's the Holy Spirit. Are we craving the word of God in order to examine ourselves, to hold our lives up to the mirror of scripture in order to compare? Are we growing from it? Let's ask ourselves that. And let's answer each man and woman for themselves by looking at the last phrase in our text today, verse three, verse three. If indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That's our third verse. The New King James uses the word gracious, which means full of saving grace in this context. We have common grace and we have saving grace. Have you tasted? This is going to challenge the congregation to examine, to see if they're authentic to see if they truly are born again to a living hope. You see, the scripture says that there must be factions amongst you in order to reveal who the true believers are. Factions means the deceived. They're not really born again. I'd like to conclude today's message by making a statement through today's text. I'm kind of flipping it around and paraphrasing it. Don't worry, Eric has edited this. <laughs> I'm not rewriting the Bible. So that I can cause us to examine ourselves for the sake of Christ and for the sake of everyone in attendance here today. So here it is. If you are really saved, that is, if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you should be or will be found to be putting away all of the deadly sins that the Bible talks about that kill the Christian character and its testimony. And you will be, or should be, as the scripture suggests, found to be longing for the word of God 
all the time. Oh, yeah, we have seasons. I didn't read my Bible this week. That's a big one for me. If it's a week, I'm dead. I'm dead. We'll be found to be longing for the word of God so that we can be fully sanctified. That is purified for that time when Christ calls upon you to give up your last breath. And we've seen it, Veritas. We've seen a few give up their last breath this year. We had five and 12 weeks that I know of, four from this congregation. That was a big one for us. It's a wake-up call. Judgment begins in the house of God, David said it earlier. Not that those believers were judged, but you should be ready. See, the Bible, the pure spiritual milk of the word, is not a rule book, unbeliever, that says that all one must do is to follow these rules or these guidances in order to be saved. But rather, it's the written word of God. And the great backup for that is the text in 2 Timothy 3.16. And the Bible from beginning to end states that all of mankind is born with a sinful heart that produces a corrupt character in every person. And that character matures into a more corrupt character. And that character cannot be changed by any person with anything they have in and of themselves. Every individual sinful heart will cause them to be judged by God Almighty upon their death. And that judgment will result in condemnation, which is eternal punishment, which has some pretty graphic depictions in Scripture. Unless they've come to believe they've been saved. Saved means that we come to an understanding that what I just said about all of us is true, that we are born sinners and with a sinful character, and that eventually we come to the point where we hear the gospel, which tells us that we need Jesus Christ and his life-giving blood, that he died on the cross for us. And you come to that conclusion after hearing the gospel message. It's Romans 10, 17. You need do nothing at all if you're sitting there in this seat today and you wonder, except to believe, that is, to pronounce your belief. If you think God has changed your heart after hearing such a message, that's what we mean when we say receive. You agree with what God has just put on your heart. If you think that's happened to you today or any time after hearing the true gospel of the word God preached and you've yet to confess it to another Christian, don't wait another day. Come forth. Come to one of his pastors. Instruction is waiting for you from one of us or from the spiritual milk of the word of God. Come see us after service. We'll guide you. Let's pray. Father God, we do praise you and thank you for your glorious, holy, and pure nature. We thank you for the spiritual milk of the word, our pure and holy food for the soul. 
And now may the message fall upon open ears. May you till the soil of the heart and make it fertile for today's message to save those of the lost and properly shepherd the congregation. In the name of Christ, we do pray. Amen.